Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Planet Earth, and welcome to For Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts for this journey through all things fermentable. On HeritageRadioNetwork.org, we're live every Monday at 7 p.m., <laughs> archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, as well as iTunes. So we've got a couple of announcements. First up is August 25th. The New York City Brewers Guild annual, first annual fundraiser for New York City Craft Beer Week. Um, it's going to be held at The Well in Bushwick. Tickets are $50. Uh, there's a lot of awesome, awesome beers that are happening. Um, it is 2 o'clock in the afternoon to 5 p.m. Uh, all you can drink, and it's going to be a blast. Please, please come check out NewYorkCityBrewersGuild.com uh, for more information. Save the date. See you there. And then on September 8th is Return of the Brooklyn Wart at the Bell House. Uh, go to BrooklynWart.com. For more details, uh, it runs 1 to 5 p.m., and tickets are $40 each. That entitles you to taste from 30 different home, of 30 different home brews from local home brewers, as well as a plate of food. Um, and they will be playing the football on big screens, for those of you who requested that. So that's September 8th from 1 to 5, brooklynwart.com for tickets. Brooklyn Wart. I'm very excited about that competition. That's a really, really fun competition. Yeah, it's very – usually um, – People bring some really inventive beers, delicious stuff, and it's it's a good way to meet other local home brewers and and really just get a kind of a better hold on the <laughs> what's go we you know what people are brewing out there. It's very inspirational. Absolutely. You know what else is inspirational? Today's show. Yes. I'm very excited, very very excited about today because I mean they were we were talking with our guests moments ago and I just felt like a fish out of water talking about all this <laughs> stuff. I, you know, I'm talking about how I learned so much on this show. I'm really excited to learn today with Michaela Hayes. How are you doing? Hello. You are from Crock and Jar. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, I was, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you are. I was going to ask, what is Crock and Jar? Who are yeah. you? What's going on? Why am I so excited right now? <laughs> Aside from just being naturally nervous. Um... Crock and Jar is a company that I started in 2011, and I started the company with the mission of being a, um, a benefit to the community. And part of the reason, or part of the way that I wanted it to be beneficial, is by using local produce, increasing the amount of food that we can buy locally in season, and then preserving it through a variety of different methods so that we can all eat more locally year round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I met you first through the New York City meetup, the Ferment meetup. Yes, NYC like Ferment. NYC Ferment. And you started that with Angela Davis, right? Correct? Angela and I co-host that. We've co-hosted it for a little a little over a year now. That's very fun. Yeah. And what do you guys do there? Um, we do a bunch of different things. We meet in general about once a month, um, usually at Jimmy's number 43. Jimmy's a fantastic sort of benefactor Mm -hmm. you guys know that to all all (laughs) things cool in the local food world um 
And we usually have a different theme each month um, when we're meeting, and people create different ferments um, based on that theme, and then we all come together and taste things and talk about things. That's fantastic. We, we started a, an offshoot of the New York City Home Brewers Guild for a brief moment to try and do that, like fermented all things, uh, you know, people in the Home Brewers Guild who are interested in alternate fermentations, which is also part why we were doing this show kind of thing. Um, but that was short-lived, but I'm really glad that that's going. Yeah, it's going really well, and I think it's spreading a lot through word of mouth. Um, it's such a fun... I mean, I've been doing fermentation for years and years now, and there it's just such a wide field. It's great to come together and learn from people who are doing things that I would never... <laughs> had have never considered doing before, so... What got you into fermenting, and where did you start? What did you start with? Um, actually, for me, fermentation was uh, a, a stepstone, I guess, along the path of food preservation. So I started out, um, I work a lot with a community organization called Just Food, mm-hmm. and they have a program called the Training of Trainers, where they take community gardeners and local farmers, and they teach them how to teach. So creating this really very grassroots network of teachers. And then those gardeners and farmers can go out and teach their skills to other people in their community. And at the time, I was farming in the South Bronx. As um, one does. Yes, South exactly. <laughs> I like to. I actually like to talk about how I grew my first eggplant in the South Bronx. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I went through that program and I was cooking in restaurants at the time, full time. And I knew that I didn't want to do cooking demos because that was too much my the whole rest of my life. But we did a workshop on canning and um, it was different enough for me f- from cooking and kind of a really interesting intersection of food and art and science, which are three of my favorite things in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so canning got me on the path of the preservation path, so to speak. And I started doing workshops around the city and became more involved in this whole network of community gardeners and urban farmers. And fermentation was just one of the pieces that I picked up along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was working at Gramercy Tavern at the time. And the guy who's the executive chef there, Mike Anthony, is really great at um, recognizing people's passions, I I feel like, and and helping to um, foster those. So together, he and I created the first pickling position in the kitchen. Very cool. Yeah, it was very cool. <laughs> it was so much fun. And and so then I had I like to say say that it was the proverbial kid in the candy store. Like I had these giant walk-ins full of all this gorgeous, beautiful local produce. And I was supposed to do stuff with it. (laughs) That was my job. (laughs) Um, And Mike spent um, a number of years cooking in Japan. So he was very interested in in those sort of flavor profiles. So I got to do all kinds of cool ferments at the restaurant. We did Nukazuke, which is a traditional Japanese rice bran pickle. Um, a bunch of different kinds of sauerkrauts and other lacto-fermented vegetables and kimchi. I was It was one of my proud moments that we got kimchi on the menu at Gramercy <laughs> Tavern. Um, yeah, and so that was a big step in getting me interested in fermentation. Um, and then I left Gramercy and I went out to California for about seven months and I worked with a few different food preservationists out there in the Bay Area, 
um, Catherine Lucas, who has a company called Farmhouse Culture, that she makes a bunch of different sauerkrauts out of Santa Cruz, and then Alex Hosevin, who has a company called Culture Pickle Shop in Berkeley, who does amazing, like, super small batch, um, really interesting ferments in uh, in Berkeley. Um, and they're into sort of more the production end of the business, because I'd been in restaurants the whole, my whole cooking career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved back to New York and just knew that I wanted to have more fermentation on the East Coast. That's so, and, and that's when you started Crack and Jar. And that's <laughs> when I started Crack and Jar. Very cool. So tell us about, because you do a lot of teaching. So tell us a little bit about that, your experiences and who, you're, who you've given workshops. and. I do. So teaching, it's really interesting to me because um, teaching is... I feel like such a big part of what I do. And I know that there are business people out there who have looked at me kind of cross-eyed and been like, okay, you know, you're creating your own competition. right?" (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I talk with, um, Seamus at Brooklyn Briner about this. Um, we were actually in an article together about how so many of the local food producers and in the New York community, have each other's backs you know they just step up when we need help we can go to each other and talk about different things um and so i like i don't know if i can be responsible for this word but i like to call it coopetition <laughs> i like it. yeah I like um so and mike anthony actually at gramercy said something to me about about this at one point he's like you know what it happens if in the future we're we have i have a little store that's selling fermented pickles and you do too he was like to me, like, that's cool. And I agree that the more people who are out there doing it, first of all, the better it is for our community if we're all using local produce. The better it is for our guts, you know, because we're eating more of this great fermented food. Um, and the better it is for the producers because it just challenges us all to be better at what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel the um, same way in the beer world, you know. Yeah. And, and it's a, there's the brotherly love, there, or, you know, the coopetition. Totally. Yep. So um, I teach a lot, and I teach... Um, at a bunch of different places around the city. I teach at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Um, I teach at the Natural Gourmet Institute. I teach for various different CSAs who, um, we were actually talking about this earlier, who have these members who want to know what the heck do I do (laughs) with all this zucchini or, you know, cabbage or whatever that I've got in my share. Um, I'm sure that I'm, I've taught at a bunch of different places. I taught up at Stone Barns. I you know, I've taught at a bunch of different places in and around the city. Um, and I love it. I love the teaching part. What is it? What are some of the most inspiration? Now, do you teach adults and children? Uh, primarily I teach adults. Yeah. Um, actually I know I just got an email from Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Uh, next year is I think the hundredth anniversary of their children's garden. So they are looking for more children's programming. And one of the great things for me teaching at Brooklyn Botanic Garden is they let me design my classes. Yeah. And they're usually really psyched about whatever it is that I come up with. So, you know, I am like the poster cheerleader girl for eating local, um, but one of the fun classes that I'm doing this winter at Brooklyn Montana Garden is um, going tropical fermenting for the winter. So we're going to do coconut, um, coconut kefir and ginger beer and preserved lemons. Ooh, you know? fun. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I teach a lot. I still teach for Just Food. I actually am teaching a course right now for them that's a community food arts course. It's a six-week long course for 
students in the program that can, it basically helps them to create a value added leg to their future farm business or, um, or a, a small food based business. So, you know, I'm really creating <laughs> my own cooperation in, in that class. And then Crock and Jar, what are, do you retail around the city? I do actually. I'm right next door at Brooklyn's natural. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're in almost 15 stores at this point um, around the city, um, which is really, really wonderful and lovely to have the crowds finally getting out there. Yeah. And what are some of your most popular products or some of the products that, that you, um, you make more of? Well, right now we have a line of, I have, we have five different krauts that we make. So we make the classic, which is the caraway based kraut. That's the, sort of the most classic flavor that we make. And then one of the reasons that I love sauerkraut and I love working with cabbage in general is that it's such a great base. And then you can make all the different flavors um, just by adding different things to it. So the three introductory flavors that we started with were the caraway kraut, uh, spicy kraut that's a kimchi-esque kraut. It doesn't have um, ginger or chilies in it, but it has onions and... I'm sorry, it does have chilies. It doesn't have garlic. Um, it has onions, carrots, daikon radish, uh, chilies, and again, the cabbage base. And then we have a pickle kraut that has cucumbers, garlic, dill, um, and then two smaller lines of kraut. One is a ramp kraut that you guys have here today yes. that I brought you a present. Thank you. And that was a 2013 Good Food Award finalist, oh, which wow. was really exciting. Um, and I did a small batch of that this year just because one of the things that I think about when I'm making product is sustainability. And I know that ramps are... They're a little tricky. Um, they're so, so popular at this point that they're in danger of being over-harvested. So, and I know there are people out there who are trying to grow them, but I don't think that that's totally there yet. So um, we did a super small batch of that. I think we did maybe 130 jars. Um, and then when I was in that same mindset of like, okay, this is something that's really over-harvested, I have an interest in herbal medicine. And, um, and so I was trying to think of what's something that's out there that's <laughs> very plentiful. And chickweed is this delicious weed, mm -hmm. essentially, that is in every garden and farm that you can imagine. Um, and it's delicious. It tastes a little bit like arugula um, and good for you. And so I did the newest flavor is a chickweed kraut. It's, again, a cabbage base with some turmeric in there and black pepper that helps to activate the nutritional value of the turmeric mm -hmm. and chilies. And it's called the wild chick. Crop. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> sounds wild delicious. Yeah. I'm excited about <laughs> it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk about how you make them, uh, the processes. Yeah. And how you guys can make them at home. So stay tuned. Excellent. Something about it. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. 
Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So we're here with Michaela Hayes of Crock and Jar, and we're talking about fermented veggies. So she has a line of sauerkrauts or krauts that she does for Crock and Jar that are available at locations around the city. Now, you can fi- people can find your krauts. Do you have a store listing on your website? Um, we're actually in the process of... Uh, redoing the website right now (laughs) so there's a tiny old list on the website but um there will be soon yeah and 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 that's just crockandjar.com okay spelled out great so So you'll you guys will be able to as soon as she finishes updating her website you guys will be able to find out where you can snag these delicious krauts as well as other events that she attends yes exactly all the classes workshops and everything yeah um so let's talk about so I, I think actually taking a workshop would be fantastic. So I would recommend to everybody that's listening, if you haven't done fermented veggies and you want to get into it, Michaela teaches workshops. I know there's other workshops around the city. Um, so keep your eyes open because that's really, you get hands-on experience and, and really Michaela's the way to do pleasant. it. very pleasant. Yes. <laughs> pleasant to Thank be you. Around. Thank you very much. Um, oh, so let's talk about how somebody could do a sauerkraut at home. Kind of the very basic, somebody that's never done it. Right. Um, so, I mean, one of the reasons it's fun for me to teach these classes is because people come in and they're so nervous about, especially with canning, but even with fermentation, they're really nervous about killing the people they love. Right. Um, (laughs) and the great thing about fermentation is that's really, really difficult to do. I'm not even sure unless you're dealing with meats, Mm -hmm. with cured meats, I don't really think you could necessarily kill someone, um, with a fermented product, unless they're allergic to right. something in it, <laughs> which we're just talking we're, about. We're playing Willie Kill Duran in this So the the most basic thing about fermentation, about lacto-fermentation, it's a wild fermentation, so you're not adding any culture to mm-hmm. it. You're just sort of gathering all the natural bacteria that's out there in the air and in the world everywhere. Um, and... For sauerkrauts especially, one of the reasons I like to call sauerkraut the like the gateway sort of ferment for fermentation because it's very, very simple. Um, at its most basic level, it's cabbage and salt. That's all you really need. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you do is you chop up your cabbage, you mix it with salt, you, you press it down, and that's the key. That's the place where people kind of can can lose it and go wrong um, is the weighing it down or pressing it down because anything the, the beautiful thing about cabbage the magical thing about cabbage and one of the reasons I like making kraut so much is that it will create its own brine mm-hmm. so once it's mixed with the salt the salt pulls the liquid out of the cells of the cabbage and creates this brine when you're fermenting things you want to make sure that they're underneath that brine because anything that's not under that brine is going to rot right because you want to keep the oxygen out. Right. Yeah. So. And Do you wash your cabbage before cutting it up? Um, I use 
mainly organic cabbage. And the other beautiful thing about cabbage is that it kind of comes in its own little wrapper in right. a sense. It's right. like a banana. <laughs> so as long as you peel out off the outer leaves, then in general, like usually, not always, but 99% of the time, I would say, what's insi- inside is going to be clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I trim off the like the butt end of the cabbage, just peel off the outer leaves and you're good to go. Um, and then chop it up to your preference. Like I like mine shredded fairly thinly. Some people, I worked with another producer out in California and they make theirs chunky. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of totally up to you. The smaller you cut it, the more easily the salt's going to penetrate those cells and the faster things are going to go. Um, so then weighing it down. So, so it's not floating and so it's staying in that. You you mentioned Mary anaerobic environment. It is semi anaerobic, and there's been a lot, a lot of discussion about this as of late um, on the Wild Fermentation website. It's not a truly anaerobic environment. That would actually be like canning, where you vacuum right. sealed something mm-hmm. and sucked all the air out. But it is a, a at least semi anaerobic environment. Yeah. So underneath the liquid, um, you're just minimizing oxygen. Exactly. So um, making sure that it's pressed down under that liquid and then i you know with some kind of weight i tell people you can use a bunch of different weights you can use a water bag weight that's a plastic bag filled with water or brine if you don't want to use plastic um you know bless you and you can use a plate like a ceramic plate with a glass jar Mm -hmm. a glass filled jar on top or sorry water filled yes a water filled glass jar (laughs) (laughs) um or get you know a nice flat rock from your garden and scrub it clean. And then there are there are crocks that they make that have uh, unglazed ceramic weights that fit down in the crock yeah. that you can use. Because the traditional container is a sauerkraut crock, which you can purchase. I know they're they, they can be somewhat pricey. Yeah, there's um, there's a company called Harsh that makes really beautiful crocks that are ceramic crocks that have a moat in the rim um or in the lip of the crock so that you can fill that with water and the lid sets down in it so that gases can get out but nothing can get into mm-hmm. it which is lovely and then they have a ceramic weight that goes in the crock that's a circle but it's split in half so it's two semicircles so that you can get them down into the crock right. and they actually fit the exact diameter of the crock itself um there's a Polish company that I can't remember the name of that makes similar crocks for less money and then there are a bunch of I feel like more and more people in the States that, because the harsh crocs are from Germany, but in the States who are starting to make like ceramic vessels that are specifically designed for fermentation. So you can look look out for those. Mm-hmm. But I ferment, I mean, at home I ferment in glass jars okay. usually. Just like wide mouth glass jars. Yeah. Um, and then for the business, my goal is to one day ferment in like stainless steel um, bins. That's how... Alex Hoseman does it out at Cultured, and it's phenomenal. Right now, I'm in food food grade plastic, which is kind of a necessary evil. Right, right. I understand, and you can pick those up. Yeah, yeah. Um, What temperature do you ferment it at? Do you? So you want to ferment at quote unquote room temperature, which in New York City is is a very wide (laughs) range. A lot of my students are like, okay, great, it's wintertime, and so my apartment is 100 degrees because I have no control of the heat. Right. So um, you, 
ideally, when I was fermenting at Gramercy Tavern, I, I had another benefit of that is I was able to ferment in the wine room. So I had this constant temperature that was oh, about 59 degrees, which was great. I mean, it's a little on the low side. I would say ideal temperatures are between 65 and 75 degrees. So very similar to homebrew fermenting, to mm-hmm. your, your fermentation ale temperatures with ale. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you can ferment definitely outside of the, that range. Um, I ferment right now. The commercial kitchen I operate out of is Kelly Geary's kitchen. She owns a company called Sweet Deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kelly's I'm great. supposed to shout out to Pickles. She's, She's awesome. Right yeah, Kelly. Pickles is her dog. She's yeah. awesome. Um, so she has a great space. and um, But in the wintertime, people love that it's cool in there and so they'll open the windows and it's like we have this giant walk-in so our produce keeps you know nicer nicer but it gets it got really cold this winter in the um in the kitchen so my ferments instead of being three to four weeks we're taking five weeks so you can ferment outside of those temperature ranges if it's hotter things are going to go faster if it's slower things are if it's colder things are going to go slower right Mm -hmm. And then how long, so how long does an, if you have an ideal room temperature, you know, somewhere in the, the upper 60s, how long does a typical sauerkraut, is it dependent on the size of the vessel or? It's not really dependent on the size of the vessel. Okay. Um, I would say, and what I tell my students is it's more dependent on preference. Mm-hmm. I've taken workshops where I've sat in with other people who teach about fermentation and there are people out there who say ferment it for three days and it's done. And then I have other friends who ferment at home and they don't even look at their sauerkraut until it's been going for six weeks. So for me, um, it's finding that sweet spot right. of the, the perfect amount of sour that you love, the perfect amount of texture. Um, and so for my krauts, it's three to four weeks okay. that I do. Also, what, what's the salt to water ratio? Yeah. So you, for for, for the krauts that I make, I don't add any water. The only kraut that gets a tiny bit of water is the wild chick kraut because the turmeric in it, um, in order to get the nutritional benefits, and this is uh, part of like Ayurvedic um, medicine, is that you need to heat that turmeric. So I saute it with a little bit of water okay, and then, and then let it cool and then okay. add it in. Okay. But otherwise, you don't need to add water. Yeah, because the cabbage, kraut. like you said it's, earlier, it's the cabbage it makes its, its own water. It makes its own brine. When, yeah, because it... So it's, it is a percentage of salt to the weight of the cabbage okay, so yeah, or whatever vegetable that, or fruit that you're fermenting. And um, I recommend between one and a half to two percent of salt to the okay, weight of the to vegetable. Weight. Um, and let's talk about flavorings or what other. You can do this with anything. I mean, you can add in almost anything into your ca- with your cabbage herbs and spices yeah and, and other you don't even vegetables. have to use cabbage i mean i um when i did my latest batch of production i had some left like extra carrots and daikon radish and so i decided to just ferment them together on their own with a little bit of turmeric and a little bit of ginger um so you don't have to use cabbage at all then you're probably going to have to add a little bit of water maybe for depending the, on the vegetable exactly yeah. if it was just carrots maybe i would have to with the radishes they are really really juicy suckers right. so i didn't have to add any liquid to that either because that's one thing once when, when we meet people and you know people find out that we do a show on fermentation um that's the thing they're like oh my god i have this 
we have the CSA and we have so much of X. What do I do with it? <laughs> so I think that's an excellent way. I know, I mean, the green market, there's an abundance of wonderful vegetables and greens. And same with everybody's CSAs right now. This is the time to ferment. Yeah, it is a great time to ferment. And there's so much out there to ferment. And, and I, that's another thing that I like to tell my students is pretty much any fruit or vegetable that you can think of, there's some way to ferment it. Um, so... Even if you're not doing sauerkraut, if you wanted to do um, a harder vegetable that is going to need a brine or like you want to do cucumbers, right? Everyone wants to do cucumber pickles. Mm-hmm. Um, then you would need to make a brine and then you would use the weight of your water. You would use a, a salt percentage to make that brine. Um, and for cucumbers, they're a little bit different. Like there's half sours and full sours and half sours, I think, are about three and a half percent brine solution and full sours are five um and they're so you you need to play around a little bit with your salt i've gone to other workshops with fermenters who don't do production and um when they're talking about making kraut they're just saying to add salt to taste so as long as there's some salt in there the salt is the thing that um, keeps it safe from the bacteria that mm-hmm. you don't want. Right. Until the acidity drops to a low, the low pH and then that's Right. Natural. And then the acidity is what preserves mm-hmm. it. Now, what type of salt do you, can you, are there different salts that you can use or? You can use a lot of different kinds of salt. The one thing, there are a couple of things you want to make sure that it's just salt, that you don't have any iodized salt. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want anti-caking agents in your salt. I like to use a coarse salt when I'm making salt, but you want to make sure that it just says salt. I personally like to use sea salt because mm-hmm. it still has all those minerals and nutrients in it. And we're building up these great layers of flavor and what we're fermenting. So why not add those things from the get-go? Right. Um, you can totally use like the Himalayan pink salt that we were talking about earlier. Um, any kinds of salt. Smoke salt. If you want to go to the meadow and buy mm-hmm. fancy salts to make your ferments, go for it. It's a little expensive right. on a production <laughs> level, but go yeah. for it at home. Well, I guess you could do a mix of salts, though. Like you could start with your basic you know, sea salt or or coarse grain salt and then add it you know supplement it with some of the fancy yeah, salts just to give it yeah exactly and and you know go crazy with the spices um one thing i'll say if you want to use fresh herbs in your ferments my experience is that during the course of the fermentation they er, they lose some of their potency so i like to stick with seeds mm-hmm. rather than the leafy parts of the herbs to maintain that say flavor so when i do my pickle kraut I do use some fresh dill, but I also use dill seed, seed right? just to make sure that that dill flavor maintains in there. Yeah, it's a little more resilient. Yeah. So, good. Well, I think we are going to wrap up. So, thank you so much for being on, Michaela. Hopefully, awesome. yeah, you, um, I've definitely been inspired. I haven't done very many fermented veggies, and I'm definitely going to start. I've never made kimchi yet, so I'm going to start some this week. That's on my to-do awesome. list. Um and hopefully you guys out there have been inspired as well. So we, I will update the fermentaboutit.com website with m- links to Michaela's website, um, yeah, as well as some links to maybe some, re- you know, some kind of basic recipes out- that are out there. And you can always come join NYC Ferments. That's right. First yeah. Monday yeah, of the month at Jimmy's Newport. Well, no, you guys have been right? changing the, the It's day, been a right? little weird lately just because of Jimmy's ske- scheduling and things happening at that space. Mm-hmm. I think we're our next meeting is the... Uh, Tuesday after Labor Day. Okay. And we'll put up a link to that as well. So I'll get that done either tonight or tomorrow. So thanks again, Michaela. Thank you. And stay tuned 
next week, oh, next week we're doing, um, we interviewed some of the brewers from Oma Gang yeah. at BCTC, and we're going to be playing some interviews from them. So we we'll call them Oma Gangsters. Oma Gangsters, <laughs> we're gonna yeah. A, we're going to air that Oma Gangster episode next week. Yep, so that'll be next Monday. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Monday at 7 p.m. live and on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Shout out to Pickles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.